You know, when you're living within the application layer, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking it's a technical only problem. If only I had better specifications, if only I had better types, if only I had better tests, then no humans would have to talk to each other. You don't have to trust anybody. But I think something that I, I picked up from the observability world was, look, it's always a people problem. You always have to trust people. And a lot of what the tooling is doing is helping you do archaeology. Hi, I'm Liz Fong-Jones. I'm Charity Majors. And I'm Jessica Kerr. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or Cast for short, a fortnightly series about the art and science of making production systems observable, easy to maintain, and appropriately reliable. Cast is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups bring our developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. That's at O11YCAST. It's been a great transition. <laughs> Lots of fun. Um, but I, I think it was a surprising transition to a lot of people because before this, I was a professor in computer science working on very academic programming languages. So programming language design, uh, program verification. So how do we prove programs correct? Uh, program analysis. How do we analyze programs for properties? And observability from you know afar to many people seems like completely the different thing because a lot of the topics in programming languages, you're playing God. You're saying, okay, Okay, you know, here's some specifications. I'm going to prove um, down to every last atom that you know this is doing exactly what I said it would do. And um, <laughs> whereas we're like, no, 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 we know that's not the case. Tell us what it's actually doing. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like especially the brand of observability that Honeycomb champions. It's like you know we test in production. We don't even test. So that you know the world I came from, everyone assumes you you write code, you write types, you write specifications, you write tests, and so. It's just, um, on the one hand, it seems like such an opposite world, but I had been very seduced by reality. (laughs) And and, And so, you know, here I was in the ivory tower, I'm working on tools to make your application level code correct down to the last line of assembly. I literally wrote a paper. The title is Safe to the Last Instruction. It's about verifying assembly code. And, you know... (laughs) That's all fine and good if you um if you're running a rocket ship, if you're Amazon and you're you know, you're like running everything down to the metal and the rest of the internet depends on you. But for the vast majority of web app companies out there, that's just not the case. And so I would argue that every company it's it's just not the case. Like yeah. production has a way of of messing with everyone's greatest hopes and dreams. Yeah. But this sounds like a good time for you to introduce yourself. Sure. So I'm Jean. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Akita Software. We do developer tools. We're in the observability space. I would say we're very complementary to what Honeycomb does. Um, if you want very basic drop-in observability, just get start understanding what are your API endpoints, what's in your system. That's what we do. And how do you pronounce your Twitter handle? It's uh, Jean Kasor. <laughs> it's Jean um, Kasor. Yeah, J-E-A-N-Q-A-S-A-U-R. The backstory is... I'm. It's a very Asian thing. Um, so I feel like, you know, when you're an Asian American teen, um, people, it's a very cutesy thing to use Qs instead of Gs. And um, I don't know, I just started using Qs everywhere because I thought it was so funny people did this. And somehow this this became part of my nickname that my friends started calling me. That's the best place to get Twitter handles. 
Well, so like what can programming languages learn from observability? Um, that's a great question. And in fact, ever since I ran away from academia and I started working on APIs and observability, um, I get asked to speak um, in classrooms and at grant meetings sometimes. And they're like, Gene, you know, we've been working on, you know, mostly this like very top down, um, specify everything stuff. What should we be thinking about with APIs and things like that? And um, what I really like about the observability space and especially Honeycomb's work in it, it's just very accepting of, again, reality. And so, you know, you're just like, look, you just can't understand large parts of your system behavior until production. And so um, I think for me, the big revelations there was I was doing a ton of work on application level tooling. So like language design, program analysis, program verification, they're all assuming that everything happens in the language. But even for me, the cracks were starting to show, you know, you have the runtime, any memory managed language, you have this like giant honking runtime. What are you doing with that? Anytime you call it to the database, you have a bunch of stuff. And like, you know, for me, the big thing that caused me to get into the observability space was network calls. Because the bane of my existence, the cause of all of my existential crises was every time you do a network call. Anytime hops the network, you're in in mystery land. You have no more control over it. Yeah, you... uh, you subvert all of your guarantees. So I think the acceptance that you're not going to prove all of that away and you're not going to test all of that away, you can't, um, I think is one of the big things to learn. And I think of network calls as being, you know, it's, it really is like reality and operations forcing itself into your gated kingdom or whatever. And, yep, and that's yep. why like the, the shift from the monolith to, to microservices is so fascinating because, you know, it, it used to be that, you know, you could kind of believe in a world where there was developers over here and operations over here. But now that you're inserting like network hops and web hops and, you know, you just, you can't, you can't live under, you know, every developer has to know a lot more about operations now that it's hopping the network. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I think the big thing is, um, one of the things I love about how you all talk about this is it's a people problem. Cause I think that, you know, when you're living within the application layer, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking it's a technical only problem. If only I had better specifications, if only I had better types of only I had better tests, then no humans would have to talk to each other. You don't have to trust anybody. (laughs) But I am, I think something that I I picked up from the observability world was look, it's always a people problem. You always have to trust people. And a lot of what the tooling is doing is helping you do archaeology on what did people do in the past, what did they do recently, what caused these issues. It's it's all, it's all people. Yeah. What was your phrase from Twitter today, Charity? Um, the smallest unit of software delivery is a team. Mm, I love it's that. It's not a program. It's not an application. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a team, which includes some code, but also people. And it's more than just one person too. Like mm-hmm. this is why you you can't have a, a, a piece of software that is owned by a person because you've yep. got the bus factor. You know, it you can only well, it doesn't even take a bus. You just you know you're sick sometimes. Yeah, or you're going on vacation or whatever. Like yeah, you might have a life. Yeah, <laughs> good point, Jess. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's the the difference between a program and an application too. Uh, you pointed out that a single person can write software. We can write programs. A program can be correct, but a program that isn't hooked up to the network and talking to any person or other program isn't useful. Yeah, yeah. It's a difference between a program and a software system. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And um, an analogy I like to make is that these software systems, they're they're like rainforests. They're they're constantly mm. evolving. There's things coming in and out, especially with microservices and AP, the API economy. This has become very, very apparent. 
even just with like different user patterns starting up, yeah. you know, it's like the difference between complicated and complex, mm-hmm. you know, with, with complicated system. Like I would say that you know, a piece of, of code is a complicated system, right? But once it's in, once it's live, once it's in reality, once it has like users, you know, and traffic patterns and, you know, different infrastructure underneath it, it becomes complex. And that means you can't predict what's going to happen when you change something. You have to change it and watch and see what happens under some controlled environment. Exactly. And I think that a lot of people think of legacy software as some kind of thing that doesn't apply to most companies. The minute you ship code, you have legacy software. There's stuff that binds you. Yeah, you can't change it. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't remember things I did last week. And I think that's true of every single person out there that creates code. This is why, you know, you know, we're all trying to figure out how, how can we can ship, ship more, do more with less, right? How can we ship mm-hmm. faster, do better, you know, with the people that we have? Because software as it exists in the, in the wild, you're always accumulating commitments, you're accumulating user pattern, you're accumulating, yep. you know, promises that you've made to people and teams and everything, which, which means even if, even if you write and ship no code, you're accumulating more to do with the same number of people, like every day that you exist. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. And then, like you said, um, as soon as you ship code, uh, that's a promise. As soon as someone else has hit that API, they expect that to still work. Yeah, which is why I, you know, I've been on this rampage for the past year about how if you're trying to be a more efficient team, the number one thing you can do is shrink that. T- and this is not a novel insight. You know, we've talked about this for years, but it really, it really sunk home for me just in the past couple of years. Just like you were saying, Jean, you know, I don't remember what I wrote last week or last month, right? This is why the cost of finding and fixing problems in our software goes up exponentially the longer it's been since you wrote it, right? And the more you can do to get that fast feedback loop of, I'm writing it, I shipped it, and I'm looking at it in production through the lens of my instrumentation, ask myself, does, is it doing what I expected it to do? You know, does everything, does anything, anything else look weird? If you, if you have that down to, you know, minutes, oh my God, your software is going to be so much better and more tractable and more comprehensible than if you've got a lag time of like weeks or months and the person who's actually trying to debug it isn't even you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the sort of thinking that converted me because I'm, you know, the assumptions that um, a lot of people in um, programming language, um, you know, formal programming languages make is that the language is is the powerful thing. If you just design the language right and you allowed people to say what they wanted, right. um, and for me, the big realization is there's a huge gap between what you want and what actually happens. Yeah. I, I think for some decades, I think, um, you know, Gerald J. Sussman. And uh, the computer scientist once spoke in an undergrad class I was taking. And he's like, you know, a lot of people like programming because you can play God. And I think for many decades, systems were small enough. Systems weren't used by that many people and they weren't you know, hooked up to the internet and all that. You could, um, for a short period of time, play God as a programmer. And now I think that we have to recognize our humanity again. Yeah. <laughs> again, the humility that we just have no clue. We have no control over anything. No clue what's going on. Monotheism is over. Now you have to fight with all the other gods. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so true. And and that world where we felt like we had this we had this illusion of control, that's where the great divide between dev and ops came from, mm-hmm. too. We're like, oh, this is fine. I could by writing my code and making sure it passes tests, I know it's good. Yeah. Someone else can run it now. Right. And what we've learned as stuff gets more complicated is that that was never true and it's getting less and less true. Yeah. People, you you have no prayer of running the software if you weren't the person or the team that that writes it, that gets inside of it, that looks at it from the inside. You can't 
can't just like treat it like a black box to be operated. Yep. Part of development is operating it and and seeing how it behaves under different systems and constraints and uh, like you're just you're not going to understand your code in the IDE ever. <laughs> yep, yep, I completely agree. Yeah, and then then there's that reality of okay, but a lot of code we are running it without the original developers, the capital L legacy stuff. Yep. Yeah. And so Jean, how does Akita help with that? We fell into the business of doing that. So I am very transparently, we started out thinking we would um, do observability for API security. And so as you know, security teams hate invasive installs. They can't get developers to do very much. So we started developing a black box approach for understanding um, where data was in systems. So that's how we got um, to our eBPF-based passive network traffic-based approach. We had a lot of stuff that was completely black box, sat outside the system and watched what API were doing and told people stuff about it. And what happened was, I think security teams were like, okay, but can you do these 18 other OWASP things? And we're like, no, 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 we just do this one thing, but pretty well. Um, and then developers were like, whoa, you know, if, if you can actually just drop into my system and tell me about it, I'm actually struggling to log. I'm struggling to put metrics in the right places. And um, I'm struggling to, you know, find people expert enough to understand how to properly do ops on my system. And so that's how we, we fell into, you know, proper DevTools observability. And who started showing up? Because we, like, our website started out very vague. We were just like, something, something, drop into your system. We tell you stuff about it. Um, but who ended up showing up was people with legacy code. And so an example of one of our users is Flickr. They, um, you know, they're a Web2 company. They've been around 20 years. Um, they have this legacy PHP monolith, and they've been breaking it out into services. And that modernization process is so tough. Yeah. And, you know, I had a series of conversations with our user there and I was kind of like we're such a rough tool right now like why are you in our beta and he was just like look um there's not a lot out there my team isn't big nobody on the original code base is still working on the code and we're just trying to wrap our heads around it it sounds like you're using it almost more as a service map um, yeah, so service map is one part of it. Um, I will say that a lot of our users are actually monolith users. So it's a it's initially a discovery tool. Yeah. And then it's a, you know, let me know if anything happens with my endpoint that I want to know about. So a lot of these teams, you know, they're not doing like the very fancy advanced honeycomb level stuff. Like they're not trying to optimize 99th percentile tail latency within every inch of their life. You know, the reason their code has been around for 20 years is it's been mostly okay. But like, how do you still move fast doing that? I'm um, let's say you made one endpoint slower, you got to trade that off somewhere else. And so there's a lot of like very high level trade-offs that people make on a day-to-day basis. Um, people still need to make changes. They don't know exactly what the existing system does, um, what even is talking to what. And so um, initially, I didn't realize that this there was a whole population of developers like this, actually. Um, we just had people starting to show up to our system and we asked them, you know, what other tools do, we, do you use? And, you know, it was often very like... <laughs> It's like a version of that Tolstoy quote. I think, you know, every system that was built in the last year kind of has the same stuff. But every system that was built five, 10 years ago, they're just, they're like all old in different ways, you know, like 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. Like the more, like every, every legacy system, I think, is legacy in its own unique way. And so for a while, our investors are saying, hey, you know, like what trends are you jumping onto? Or, you know, what, like, you know, what star have you hitched your wagon to? And we're like, 
none opposite seems like a lot of our users are php users reality. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think you know people had said like it's really hard to grow a business with users who aren't growing and i'm like mm. <laughs> more and more legacy users showing up you know they seem to be gro- there's a lot of them and they're growing some but um it, it wasn't it wasn't you know us kind of strategically saying hey there's this like neglected set of users out there it was us starting to build um, under a model um, and a set of assumptions that we had to be as non-invasive as possible, us developing a set of um, technology that would allow us to do it, and then developers picking this up and being like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> this is what I've been looking for for this slightly other purpose. And so then we just leaned in. We were like, all right, you know, it, it seems it seems like this is this is what we're doing now. So you're using the operating system to spy on like network calls that the software makes? We're not. So, okay. So, so like we actually are not even looking um, at the whole operating system. Like we don't do file system or anything like that. We just do the PCAP layer. So it's just um, ports, basically. Um, We look at the ports, we watch the traffic. So one way to think about it is it's like Wireshark, but with a, with a whole inference layer on top of it. The inference layer, does that like notice changes? Um, yeah, so first, um, we we infer the structure of the APIs. And so initially, we were just like, you know, looking at all the traffic and showing it to our users. And they were like, uh, <laughs> we were having trouble reading our logs before. This is worse. Those are all <laughs> bytes? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know, we would like just show them like, here's a call, you know, we'd kind of like, 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 reify the call a little bit. And so we put in after that a ton of work into inferring um, paths for um, URL endpoints, uh, types. So, so we can actually provide like a pretty concise um, API model on top of that um, that we automatically infer. And then on top of that, we're able to start inferring changes so we can detect like very basic things like this was removed. So do you have something that that like a library for people to instrument their code with or you're just sniffing traffic? There's no instrumentation. So the challenge that we did was like, how far can we get with no instrumentation? And Charity, you and I have gone back and forth. I completely agree that if you're trying to do anything that like involves like deep debugging, you need to instrument for us you know we're trying to go everything up to like what you don't have to instrument to do so we can detect um, endpoint level changes we can um, because we have um, some inference we can detect type level changes um, we can detect some you know performance changes that are externally visible but sure. for the kind of debugs that you all are working on we we can't do that because we don't instrument. Yeah, instrumentation is more like, well, to do it, you have to have control over the code. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to deploy the instrumentation and hopefully um, increment on it and make it better. So it's really good for code that you like, to some degree, have your hands around. Yep, yep, yep. Whereas you're working with code that people definitely don't have their hands around. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there could be like an interesting Akita Honeycomb collaboration where, mm-hmm. you know, people are trying to get their heads around something um, that, you know, we we make it really easy for them to drop us and get like a very basic understanding. But, you know, I'm in like, your your end of this, but what we envision is there's there's a whole observability stack. Um, what I've noticed is you know most most companies adopting observability aren't just doing one tool anymore. They have you know here's my monitoring for this. Here's my yeah yeah. I don't think they want that to be the case though. <laughs> yeah yeah, but I think inevitably you know um, unless someone comes in and unifies it all, um, there's there's different tools for different purposes. So I can imagine like us you know playing well with Honeycomb so that if people are like okay now I want to go deeper. 
paper. Um, I can do some instrumentation or something like that. And that's that's not what we've been working on at all. We're just like, look, you know, you are in a hole. <laughs> we will get you out of the hole and give you some basic amenities in life. But, you know, once once you get your head around the code, if you want to go deeper, there's a set of other things you can do. Yeah, like full instrumentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Akita Traces or Akita, what do you call them? Events? What do you call the... Um, yeah, we've been calling them traces, but it's confusing because they're not ob- observability traces. They're just traffic. Um, yeah. They're tra- traffic traces, yeah. So that could be linked to a trace that is instrumented around the code. Exactly, yeah. And then you could be like, well, my code says it's doing this, but the network says... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can also imagine, you know, f- feeding honeycomb data into our change inference, like the more source of information we have for that, because like the persona we have in mind is someone who's like, look, I don't have a lot of DevOps expertise or bandwidth on my team. Um, I just need someone to kind of like gut check or, you know, like really flag big things. Um, They might not have the expertise to set up like, you know, detailed dashboards or anything like that. And so we're really just like a like, you know, very basic starter. Um, This is like... There's a piece that you wrote recently, something about APIs that I really enjoyed. Do you remember what that was about? Uh, I wrote a few things. One, um, I wrote um, the the case for developer experience where I talked about why observability is the thing to work on. Um, that was a few months ago. Yeah, I liked that one. That wasn't one of the one I was thinking of. Um, on the Andreessen blog. Yeah, I definitely read that one. There was a different one that I was I was thinking of. This is a really cool note, but we should put we should definitely put this in the notes. Um, the difference between like abstraction and complexity, the one like oh yeah, this is something that you know Christine and I have talked a lot about in the past, where there are tools that help you you know back away from complexity and treat things abstractly, and then there are tools that you know lean into it and help make c- complexity tractable. And we definitely see Honeycomb as being you know at, at some point at the end of the day, somebody somewhere is going to have to understand your code. Right. Yep, and yep. and we're definitely in the business of making complexity tractable for, you know, for people who have to come up and understand it later on. Yeah, I, I, I love the point that um, you are in the space. And something that had been really frustrating to me is I think um, all observability tools are by definition com- complexity embracing tools. If, you know, if people want an easier life, they would just like pay someone to write and run all of their code. And then, well, it would be, it would all be in one app and then you'd prove it correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, And sometimes I get so frustrated because I feel like the sexiest demos and, you know, the, a lot of the dev tools that get a lot of hype, you know, it's like some like TikTok video. Yeah. It's so easy to fake a demo. It's so easy to make anything look fast or good. This is, this is why, you know, with Honeycomb, we somewhat often run into people who just literally don't believe us. They just, they don't believe that what we're saying about our tool is possible. They think we're lying. They think we're faking our demos, you know, yeah. and I get it. Like if you've lived in a world where high cardinality and high dimensional, and all these things are just impossible, then it sounds like we're just, you know, we're just high on our own supply or something. Yeah. Um, so it's really satisfying when, you know, one of, one of two things happens either, you know, this happened to Christine the other week where she was sitting next to a CTO at some dinner and he's just like, didn't believe it. And she's like, okay. And she talked them through like, well, here's how the column store works. And here's how we can scan so many rows so quickly. Here's how, you know, and that's fun. It's a good way to shut people up, but it's more (laughs) fun when they actually try, try Honeycomb on their servers, right? Try it on their data. And, and there's nothing, you know, you can see it click in their eyes when they see something that was 
literally impossible before and now happens like reliably in sub-second queries on Honeycomb and you just get the mind blown, you know, and that's, that's really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. And it's something um, we struggled with in the beginning because um, we fell into the trap of like, we have to make such a slick demo. And then we are like, no, no, no. Like it's never a demo until you're running on their traffic. And actually it isn't a really compelling demo until you're running on their production. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, I would always look at other tools that they're just like, we replaced your backend with a faster backend. Here's a demo. And then everyone's like, okay, I can totally see how that does it. I can, I can imagine it. Um, and I think that complexity embracing tools just have, um, there's not really a playbook. People forget about us. Um, they, um, I, I feel like, you know, complexity is just something that people so continually sweep under the rug that when people think of buying tools, when they think of recommending tools, it's just like, People would be horrified to realize just how many outages, problems, you know, that these large complex systems have are never understood. Yeah. How often yeah. they just they happen, we all like freeze, we start looking into it and it resolves itself and we all just sit there looking at each other going, Did you see that? Yeah. I see yeah. That? You know, and it's like, okay, we could spend the rest of our day trying to figure it out, or we can just wait and see if it happens again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's the norm. The norm is not that these things are well understood. Yeah. So what I like about the observability movement is that look, like complexity is here. It's biting you. You need to deal with it. This is reality. And here's a better way of dealing with it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that there are so many problems happening in most people's systems. Like steady state that they have no idea because they don't happen to you know affect like more than two percent of the traffic or they or they happen rarely but like once you have the ability to slice and dice and and look beneath the covers oh my god there's so much going on you know and we have we have our paging threshold set quite high which we should because otherwise being on call would be impossible yeah right but that just means that there's so many things going on right now that you just have no idea about in your systems yeah, I feel like um, system monitoring and ops is sort of like where medicine was in the Middle Ages. It's like, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's um, like a, a, a lance and a leech. and Yeah, the leech is just like waiting. And then if it fixed it, they're like, they take credit. And if not, well, that was just God's plan. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that, you know, what I hope to bring to this whole world is a perspective of like, look, I came from a world where there is order. That world happened to be such a small fraction of the whole real world. But, you know, I think there is such a thing as order and more sanity and more structure. There, there are systems that are better understood than others, right? Yeah. And they are more pleasant to work on. You can do much, you can move much more quickly with much less suffering. You know, I think we've all we've all experienced these systems that are they're just like a hairball that some cat coughed up. They've never been understood. No. We ship code every day that we don't understand onto the shit we don't never understood. And then we wonder why it's like a nightmare to run. Yeah. But yeah. like when you have a system that is fairly well understood where you have developers who are checking themselves and the code, you know, it's like night and day. Where it's last week legacy instead of uh, three hires ago legacy. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So my, my dream is, I'm, you know, I used to live in these worlds where we pretended everything was clean and you had full control. And I think there's some kind of, you know, hybrid situation where you have more control over the mess. You don't have full control. And so, you know, going the other way and um, what I think observability can benefit from with programming languages ideas is the spirit of all the work I did was we take messy complex systems and we bring order. And what I thought was unfortunate was 
because no one was bringing that much order to real systems and ops. And so, you know, to me, logs are like, assembly. They're, you know, they're low level. You can do anything with them. But what can we extract from logs? Um, what kind of insights? Um, what kind of questions do people really want to be asking about them? Logs are just spaghetti strings. They're they're they should be deprecated. Nobody should be logging unless you're in a development environment. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And so like, where can we raise the abstraction from logs, metrics, and traces? That's been the big challenge um, we've set out for ourselves. To events. Yeah. The perspective of the user. Yep, exactly. Because we can't have complete order. We have to give up as soon as the network is involved. Yeah. On yeah. having perfect guarantees. But that doesn't mean we can't have some. Yeah. We can have more clues, uh, more tools to detangle the hairball. It can be better. Yeah, never going to be perfect, but it can be a whole lot better. That was a delightful conversation that I enjoyed and hope you did too. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. Hope to see you next time.